I speak to you in the name of the living God, blessed Trinity, and lover of your souls. Amen. Amen. Have you ever felt an emotion so visceral that a howl or a scream was the only way to express what you were feeling? That's a little bit what it's like in today's Old Testament reading from Hosea. So Diane, where are you? I'm sorry you had to read that. It was kind of a visceral, howling sort of a passage. Uh, it's not an easy one. Not too long ago, I saw an online comic strip titled Empathy. And it depicted two people. The woman's face in the imagery was sad, and her friend approached, and he said, are you okay? The woman said, not really. Well, would you like to talk about it, the friend asked. Not really, she said. There was a long silence over multiple strips. The friend didn't know what to say. So the friend just sat down. And in the final scene of the comic strip, after much more time had passed, that frown turned into a little smirk because of the presence of a friend. Since it was online, people were commenting, and somebody wrote, misery loves company. And for some, I think that's all that empathy feels like, some kind of melancholic company. But that is not the imagery we get in Hosea today. We get an imagery of empathy that is much different. Empathy, by definition, is the ability to understand or to share the feelings of another. And today's reading from Hosea is about empathy amidst unfaithfulness. His word, as firm as a strong handshake, but reneged. Her love and her rejection, spoken from the same beautiful lips. Unfaithfulness. It's just scribbled across today's Old Testament reading about Hosea and Gomer. If you'll recall, Hosea marries Gomer, and she is unfaithful. And when she gives birth to their first son, Hosea knows it's not his. And though he chooses to father the child anyway, there's distance in the name he gives his son which means God sowed this seed. Soon after, his second child is born, and she was not his seed either. And in anger and pain, he names her not loved. When the third child is born, and Hosea knows that this child too is not his biological son, but this is the child that will continue his family line in grief, he names him, not my people. Distance, anger, pain, grief. These are emotions that sting when a broken promise and a loss of trust become tangled up in the sheets of a commitment that ended too soon. Unfaithfulness is a jaded lover's word. But the emotional landscape involved in the experience comes to us throughout our lives in many different forms often unexpected. The promotion that was given to someone else. A dismissal without, at will, without cause. 
a parent that didn't stay, a sibling that left too soon, a promised child that never was, distance, anger, pain, grief. We do not often choose to stay in these emotions. And when we find ourselves stuck in them, it's hard to care about anybody else's experience. We have enough of our own problems, thank you. So why should we even care about Hosea's experience of unfaithfulness? We all have our own. This one's from thousands and thousands of years ago. Do we really need to dredge this up? Well, the church lectionary thinks that we do. And I think we do too, because our faith tradition holds that Hosea is a prophet. And that means that his life tells us something about our lives and about God's life. God is not as removed from suffering as we sometimes prefer to think. In the language Hosea's story was originally written in, we find one word that can be translated two ways. This word dances back and forth between intertwining into the text. The two words it can be translated are, are adultery and idolatry. So Hosea's emotional experience of Gomer's adultery is likened to God's emotional experience of Israel's idolatry. And suddenly, we can share in the emotional experience not just with Hosea the prophet, but with God. God knows what distance and anger and pain and grief feel like, not abstractly, viscerally. Hosea is the only biblical book to give us such detailed descriptions of God's inner emotional landscape. The only other book that comes close is Song of Solomon, which is a love poem between an engaged couple. So we have these two biblical books that reveal God's emotional landscape, and they show us the depth of intimacy between God and the people of God. It's a long story of generations of God's faithfulness despite Israel's unfaithfulness. Throughout the Old Testament, the writers describe Israel as a spouse of God. And whenever Israel worships other gods, this Hebrew word pops up again, adultery, idolatry, and reveals that God can feel just as betrayed by a lover as we can. What does it do in your own imagination to visualize God as a spurned lover in pain? Do you ever imagine that God's stomach knows what it feels like to wrap itself in knots because it's late and the one God loves hasn't come home yet? In scripture, God and Israel are anthropomorphized, so Israel is given a feminine gender and God is given a masculine one. Thus, in Jewish tradition, the relationship between Israel and God looks like a heterosexual love story being played out over centuries. And it begins a little bit like this. Early on in the relationship, God approaches Israel via Moses at that burning bush and asks that she call him Yahweh, which in its simplest translation actually means I will be there. I will be there. I will always be there. That's God's name. After that, 
Every time the people pray to Yahweh, every time they speak God's name, they are naming God's promise to always be there, to remain faithful to them forever. And God follows through on this promise. It's no cheap engagement ring to buy Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And after God proves that his intentions are to give Israel freedom and love, Israel makes a covenant of fidelity to God. Like the traditional Jewish wedding vow, it comes straight out of Song of Solomon. Israel promises, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. But the seeds of love that God plants in Israel grows children that turn away. Idolatry happens. The Israelites give their affection to pagan gods. They sacrifice for them. They give them food, jewelry, the gifts of their heart that rightfully belonged to Yahweh. Israel broke its covenantal bond with God emotionally, physically, spiritually. And this prophetic book of Hosea reveals to us that God knows what it's like to be on the receiving end of a broken promise. At the beginning of Hosea's book, God is depicted as the wounded husband, and then a bit later as a heartbroken parent, slumped over the kitchen table, clinging to old pictures of the children that won't come home. These are images of pain too great to bear. It's the kind of pain that causes the human heart to seal itself up, to protect its most tender parts. Our human response is to go into survival mode, to think only of ourselves. I imagine you've been there. There have been times you've said to your own heart, I have reached my limit, I'm done. This is how God feels. It's how God feels, I'm done. I'm done with Israel. But even though God feels this, what God does looks different than what our human experience often invites us to do. See, it is all too much to bear. And yet just when we would expect God to go into survival mode and think only of God's self, God doesn't do it. When we would have sealed off our hearts, God rips God's heart wide open. And after that last child is born, God says, you named him, you are not my people. Because right now it feels like I'm not your God. The emotions are real, but what is also real is that I will always be there. I will always be your God. So God says at the end of today's chapter in Hosea that Israel, once called, you are not my people, out of distance, out of anger, pain, grief, will instead be called and known as children of the living God. And this imagery in Hosea, walking us through the whole emotional landscape, is trying to show us something we've heard over and over again about God that we may not let our hearts believe. Your deepest betrayals, your most intense grief and anger and pain are not too much for God. God has been there. When you cannot bear to hold your heart open any longer, God does not sit aloof in the heavenlies on a throne. God is right there on the trail, holding your hand on that mountaintop, promising, I will be there. 
Out of a great need, the poet writes, out of a great need we are all holding hands and climbing, not loving is a letting go. Listen, the terrain around here is far too dangerous for that. Just as God did not let go of Israel's hand after her unfaithfulness, God will not let go of your hand, no matter how slippery the terrain becomes under your feet. I will be there is God's message in faithfulness and unfaithfulness. God's love remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. Whenever our hearts worry, we are not God's people anymore. God's response, regardless of the emotional landscape, is to keep the promise made. No matter what, you are and will always remain a child of the living God. So as you climb the terrain in your own life and the rocks crumble at times beneath your feet, reach out your hand and remember you are never holding on to this life alone. God will always be there.